Hello, hello everybody. This is Dr. Eeks, your host of Causes or Cures. How's everybody doing? Thank you for tuning in today. I hope you're doing okay. I hope you are keeping yourselves healthy and amused. Um, I'm keeping myself amused. As a Christmas present to myself, I bought myself a new violin um, and I've been working on a lot of fiddling. Um, I was trained, you know, like the whole Suzuki violin school, all the classical stuff. But lately, all I want to do is fiddle. And I'm so into it and love it. I think my neighbors probably hate me. And I'm looking forward to those complaints and trying to figure out a system that works. This is the realities of apartment living, I tell you. Anyhow, we all thought we'd be back to normal by now, but we're not. Um, <laughs> we're headed into 2022 and we're still in this pandemic. But guys, I'm confident I'm confident that in the springtime we're going to turn a corner. I, I really do think... Uh, for a lot of reasons. I just think we're going to have so much immunity built up by then, I hope, because of how fast this latest variant just goes through everybody. It's just like, you know, Um, and then maybe we will get back to normal. And then we're going to have to talk about other public health topics that we've kind of been ignoring. We've put on the back burner. You know what happens when you put a public health topic or anything on the back burner? Then when you go to look at it again, you're like, oh my God, why did we ignore that for so long? Um, well, we had a pandemic. <laughs> but you know, some of those topics include things like obesity. Our obesity rates are through the roof. Fentanyl overdoses. Are fentanyl overdoses through the roof? We could talk about bullying. Bullying's an issue. Cyberbullying, can't stand it. Um, factors, factors leading to emerging infectious diseases. Most of them are driven by us, humans, human beings, wonderful species. But um, if we don't address some of those factors, we'll probably see another emerging infectious disease. And I wrote about some of those factors in a blog at bloomingwellness.com. I hope you read it. If you want to read it and you can't find it, just send me an email and I will send it to you. Speaking of different diseases and topics other than COVID, today I'm going to chat with Dr. Errol Fickrig about a new vaccine being studied for Lyme disease. Lyme disease, which affects a lot of people, a lot of animals, lots of dogs. I thought my dog had it last week because he had a sudden limp. And and my dad, who's a veterinarian, is like, "Uh uh-oh, Aaron. Sometimes Lyme presents that way. You better get him checked out. He didn't have it. Um, I took him to a vet here in New York City. So $600 later, the little guy just had a limp for probably jumping off the bed like a wild man. Get pet health insurance. Get pet health insurance. Um, Back to the topic of the podcast. This vaccine is interesting, this new vaccine, because of its target. It's different than any other vaccine that's out there, and Dr. Fickrig will explain this all in the podcast. The vaccine uses mRNA, messenger RNA technology. You guys heard about that with the COVID vaccines, at least the Pfizer and the Moderna ones. Um, And I've also had other vaccine experts on here talking a little bit about mRNA technology. So in this podcast, Dr. Fickrig is going to talk about how the vaccine was made, what's in it, how it works for Lyme disease, results from tests on guinea pigs, 
current research, um, if this could possibly be used in humans one day. He's also going to discuss something called tick resistance. And um, it's really wild stuff, just because this, there's no other vaccine like this one being created. So, um, so it's interesting. Um, I will include his full bio in the description section. But the cliff notes is that he runs a lab at Yale School of Medicine that studies vector-borne diseases. Lyme disease is a vector-borne disease. He is an infectious disease specialist and the professor of epidemiology. So let's connect to him and hear what he has to say about this vaccine in the works. All right. So Dr. Fickery, thank you so much for joining me today on Causes or Cures. I was really excited to read about this potentially new vaccine for Lyme disease. Um, but I thought maybe, could we start by you sort of saying who you are, what you do, and what your lab specializes in? Sure. Uh, my name's Errol Fickrig. I'm a professor of medicine at Yale University School of Medicine, and I'm chief of the section of infectious diseases at uh, Yale New Haven Hospital. And my laboratory works on vector-borne diseases, things such as Lyme disease, transmitted by ticks, and malaria, and dengue virus, which are transmitted by mosquitoes. And we work on new ways to prevent infections and new ways to treat them. Fascinating. And Lyme disease is, uh, I mean, fastest growing, I think, vector-borne disease in the U.S. I think that's right. So, yeah. The fastest, the most common tick-borne disease in the U.S. for certain. Um, yeah, I was, I was, uh, when I was a cadet at West Point and we would be sleeping out in the field for field exercise, there was always somebody who got Lyme disease. Um, and it just, and some people really struggled even years later. Um, so this new, this new vaccine that I read about, so basically Lyme disease is caused by, and I'm going to simplify this for, for listeners. It's caused sure. by, a, right. So it's caused by a bacteria inside a tick, a tick needs to latch on to a host, a person or an animal and bite them. And it sounds like your vaccine targets the vector, which is interesting. Um, and you tested it in guinea pigs. So I thought, could, could we just start out by you explaining what is in the vaccine and how it works? Sure. So right now, all vaccines, all human vaccines target the pathogen, the microbe. So whatever you've taken as a child or as an adult, all the vaccines that we've had are pathogen-based. So this is a new approach. It doesn't target the pathogen. As you said, in this case, the Lyme agent, the bacterium or the spirochete, it targets the vector, the tick, which transmits the infection. And our goal was to ask the question, if we could make it so that you could more easily recognize a tick bite, what would you do? So we all know that if you get a mosquito bite, your response is to slap. If you slap, you swat, your, you try and swat the mosquito. Sure. When you, when you get a tick bite, you don't swat a tick bite. You mostly don't recognize it. When you do recognize it, you know that you had a bump somewhere that wasn't there before. You look down, you find a tick, and you're mostly disgusted. And you run as quickly as you can to find a pair of tweezers and pull the tick off as soon as possible. Yeah, it's awful. So nobody, so no, nobody, nobody that I know keeps a tick on them once they've noticed it. They pull it off quickly. So our, our, our objective was to make it easier to recognize a tick bite. And if you can do that, then you're more likely to pull a tick off. And since the Lyme agent Borrelia takes a while to be transmitted from the tick to you, 
when a tick bites, it, the bacterium doesn't go immediately. It takes about 24 or 36 hours to be transmitted. So if you can recognize a tick bite early, it's very likely you can prevent uh, the Lyme agent from being transmitted and therefore prevent yourself from getting Lyme disease. So I know people are more familiar than ever with the idea of messenger RNA vaccines since, since the COVID mm-hmm. vaccines. And we obviously know um, with Pfizer and Moderna, they code for one specific protein, the spike protein. This one codes for 19 different types of proteins, the salivary proteins that the tick secretes. Is that correct? That's correct. This was an experimental proof of principle study to show that we could actually prevent infection. And we decided to initially try it with a cocktail of antigens that we've been working on for many years that have different functions and play different roles in tick feeding and the transmission of the Lyme disease agent. Right now, we're doing further experiments, what I would call more of the magic bullet experiments with each of those individual 19 antigens to see if we can find out which of those 19 is most important, or if perhaps you truly need a combination of 19 to be most efficient. We're working on that right now. Okay. So that's interesting because when I was reading it, I was thinking, what would be the potential consequences of, you know, somebody producing 19 of those proteins? Um, were, were there any, anything that you saw that was alarming in the, in the guinea pigs? No, the guinea pigs appeared very uh, happy, had no side effects that we observed to vaccination with the cocktail. Um, and when we put ticks on them, the, the guinea pigs that were vaccinated developed very much redness at the bite site and the ticks fell off more rapidly. So they had an effect to the vaccine, but they appeared in terms of after the vaccinations, they appeared uh, normal. So no, no noticeable side effects. That no noticeable side in a guinea pig. In a guinea pig. Right, right. Obviously we would have to be uh, tested. In, have to um, be tested in a human for sure. Right. But what you're saying is you, you may not need 19 of those proteins. That's all I, I, I would be surprised if we needed all 19. My guess is we'll need a, a subset of those. And even within those individual proteins that we find that are important, we'll hone down the region of those proteins. So we might mm. end up with specific, a few specific proteins that are critical for this to occur. Um, I didn't, I mean, when I first read that, I had no idea that ticks secreted that many proteins, you know, into, into the host, into, you know, your bloodstream, so to speak, when they attach to you. Um, oh, 19, 19 is just a small portion. Ticks, really? are a pharmacolo- tick, ticks are a pharmacologic factory. They, they secrete hundreds, if not thousands of different proteins into you during the bite site. It's a very complex, very, very, uh, very important uh, process of their life cycle. So they're very well adapted to do this. Uh, that's amazing. I mean, they're, they are annoying little buggers. I'll say that. Um, so when you talk about the, uh, creating this immune response and making it easier for someone to recognize, um, I understand that from a, 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 like a human might recognize it. Wouldn't, would an animal also recognize it? And also, I read about um, in your study, you talk about how the tick was more likely to fall off. Is mm-hmm. that so? Is that a, a, a second mechanism that you're looking at? Um, tick resistance, and as well as a host being able to recognize, oh, hey, there's a tick on me. Let, let's knock it off. 
Yeah, so two parts to your question. The first one is, does it occur in other animals, right? Right, right. 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 Like, so, I mean, if, if some, if I under, if I took the, this vaccine, let's say it was, you know, already ready for humans, um, I understand, oh yes, there's something on me, you know, I, there's a big red spot forming. I have a tick, I'll get it off. But would it work that way with any animal too? Uh, so we're, in, in the paper, we showed that it does not work in mice. It doesn't. Um, so okay. that, it, the, 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 does not work in mice, nor does natural tick immunity work in mice, which is a very interesting question because the white-footed mouse, Paramiscus leucopus, is the natural reservoir for ticks in nature. Ticks need to feed on small rodents, particularly mice, to complete their life cycle. So ticks have co-evolved with mice over the year, over millennia, to uh, have a successful relationship. So I think that's quite interesting. That's one animal it does not develop tick resistance. Oh. And you can, you can think of the evolutionary, the evolutionary reasons that that's occurred. Other animals, such as rabbits, sheep, and larger animals, do develop tick resistance. So we're, we're cautiously optimistic this will occur in humans as well. But we truly need to, do need to prove it. Okay, so the tick resistance, can you mm-hmm. uh, describe that a little more in detail? So I would... I would I would consider tick resistance to be a multifactorial phenomenon. The first portion of tick resistance is what I would call increased recognition, which is redness and itching when a tick feeds. And that's the most important thing, I think, for humans, because if humans see redness and itching, they're not going to keep the tick on them. The the, The second part of tick resistance is decreased attachment and decreased feeding. So in our experiments, the vaccine did make it so that ticks fell off more rapidly. Ticks oh. normally feed, ticks normally feed for four or five days. And in our experiments, if you were vaccinated with, if you were vaccinated with 19 IST, you would fall off beginning 24 hours and towards 40 hours more likely. In addition to falling off more rapidly, the weights of those, those ticks took a much, much smaller blood meal. They didn't feed well. So the ticks did not feed well after they got vaccinated. Then the, then the things we're looking at now is when a tick doesn't feed well, does it survive? Is it able to molt? Ticks have to molt to the next stage to complete their life cycle. And we're working right now we're working on studies to see if, if having fed on a, ninth, on a vaccinated animal, do the ticks, are they, do they still retain the capacity to molt to the next stage? And even after molting, do they, do they retain the capacity to lay eggs? So tick resistance is multifactorial. Right now we've addressed the initial phases and we're beginning to address the later phases. That's really interesting. Now, is there a minimal amount of time that a tick has to stay attached to an animal or a human to transmit Lyme disease? So uh, first of all, ticks transmit many pathogens. The deer tick, Exodia scapularis, transmits Borrelia burgdorferi, the Lyme disease agent. Right. It also transmits Babesia microti, an agent of a very severe illness called human babesiosis. It transmits anaplasma, another bacteria, and a virus, flavivirus, uh, like Zika, similar to West Nile virus called Powassan virus. And Borrelia is transmitted slowly from a tick. It takes about 24 to 36 hours for Borrelia to be transmitted uh, from a tick. And Babesia is also relatively slowly transmitted from a tick. So I'm, I'm, I, our studies showed that our vaccine works against Borrelial infection, including the portion where ticks are required to detach from the, the animals naturally, 
And I'm cautiously optimistic it'll, it'll also work against some of the other pathogens, more likely Babesia than, the, than some of the pathogens that are quickly transmitted from a dick. In, in your experiment, what, is there a percentage in terms of how much it cut transmission to the, to the guinea pigs? So it did it three different ways. If you look at when red, if you pull the ticks off in a double blind fashion from control guinea pigs and experimental guinea pigs, when redness first occurred, we found that about 50%, slightly less than 50% of the control animals were infected with the Lyme agent, whereas none, 0% of the experimental animals were infected. So infection and protection was very strong when you pulled the ticks off when redness occurred. If we let the ticks feed however they wanted to feed, the results were different and not as substantial. When we placed one infected tick on each guinea pig, we found there was protection if you let them feed to when they fall off. If we put three ticks on each animal, there was no, no, no longer any protection. So the result of protection could change depending on how many ticks were allowed to feed on the guinea pig. And I would say that our laboratory ticks are what I would call hot ticks. 100% of them are infected with Borrelia with a virulent strain of the spirochete, of the Lyme agent. Whereas in nature, only four to 20% of ticks in Lyme endemic areas are infected with Borrelia. So we, we may have skewed those experiments somewhat in a direction because our ticks were highly infectious. Well, that, that's really interesting. In, in your opinion, do you think we're gonna to continue to see an increase in Lyme disease or vector-borne diseases in general? I, I think clearly as climate change continues, uh, the range in which ticks can, uh, when, when, where ticks survive is changing, it's increasing, mostly as we head further north, for example, in 15, 20 years ago, it was rare to find the deer tick in northern Vermont, New Hampshire, southern Canada. Now it's much more common in those areas. So the, the range of the ticks can survive is changing. And frankly, as climate change occurs, um, mosquitoes that transmit many pathogens, which are not usually found above perhaps the tip of Texas or southern Florida, are able to survive in other areas of the United States. So it's very likely that the epidemiology of vector-borne diseases, things transmitted by ticks, mosquitoes, and other vectors will change in the United States over the next uh, 20 to 30 years. Right. When you think about emerging infectious diseases, uh, which is on everybody's mind because of COVID, um, this is certainly the warming temperatures and allowing things to kind of, I guess, thrive in environments they wouldn't otherwise thrive. Um, what are, you mentioned in the earlier part of the podcast that you're working on other research around this. What are the, the current studies you're, you're working on? And do you see, eventually see a vaccine like this being tested in humans? So, so right now we're working on what I would call the scientific reductionist experiments to ask the question of which of those 19 antigens are most important in inducing tick rejection. That's one area. That's a lot of work to do that, but we're doing that. The second thing we're asking is, what is the mechanism by which this occurs? What are the immune responses in a guinea pig that are induced that contribute to tick rejection? We're trying to define those. We're also, as I told you before, tick rejection does not occur in mice. It does occur in guinea pigs. And we're testing it in an additional animal model, in this case, rabbits, to make sure that 
it's not just specific for guinea pigs, but the phenomenon we're seeing also occurs in another animal. And after doing that, I think the next, we're beginning to analyze humans. We can't put ticks on, uh, ticks on humans. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. But what we, what we can do is uh, we can get blood from patients who have been, who had Lyme disease. And if you've had Lyme disease, you've obviously been exposed to a tick bite. If we get blood from patients who've been, had Lyme disease or tick exposure, we can test them for reactivity to our antigens. And we can see in our, in our cocktail, we can see which ones respond and which ones don't. And that may give us some clue as to whether tick immunity does occur in humans. Well, I think that sounds really interesting. And I, I, I'm going to follow your research to see what, what you guys found out. Um, thank you for your time today. One final sure. question. Do you, you know, we're, no one really knew about mRNA vaccines before COVID. Do you think that this is the technology of you know, vaccines in the future? Uh, so first of all, we actually began these studies before COVID uh, came out. I was in a meeting in early 2019 with Drew Weissman, who's one of the leading experts and inventors of mRNA technology. And he was presenting his data at a conference in Ireland. And we chatted after that. This is before COVID occurred and began these experiments at that time. So um, COVID has certainly shown us that mRNA vaccines are safe and effective in humans. So I think in the future, it's, it's likely we're going to see additional mRNA vaccines available for a variety of infectious diseases. Interesting. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Figueroa. I, I appreciate your time today and um, enjoy your hol holiday season. Sure. Same with you. Thank nice talking you. with you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in and hearing all about a potential new Lyme disease vaccine and where it stands in terms of research and how it works, which is really, really interesting. Um, that's, you know, this is a first of its kind. Science. Science is neat. Science can be scary, too. Uh, kind of like, you know, sometimes you think of Frankenstein's, Frankenstein, right, in that lab, and then sometimes you're like, wow, that's so cool. Look at all those lives that this could save. Um, either way. Anyways. I hope you subscribe, uh, stick around. You can find me at bloomingwellness.com and my blog there and my books and um, also subscribe to Causes or Cures and um, insert all of that marketing stuff here that I'm supposed to say. Shares, all that, you know. All right, guys, take care. And hey, we're headed into 2022 and I hope you're doing that with a positive attitude and hope because I think it's going to be a good year. All right. Bye-bye.